Welcome to Unwanted Guests, the podcast that teaches you about insects and other pests that may join you in and around your home. It's brought to you by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas A&M Department of Entomology. We're your hosts, Wizzy Brown, Robert Puckett, Molly Keck, and Janet Hurley. So on this episode of Unwanted Guests, we are going to be talking about some of my personal favorite ants that I think are so cute. And those are the rover ants. So these are, if I believe I'm correct, uh, Brachymiramex patagonius or patagonicus or something of that sort. Robert, you can probably jump in and give us the scientific name. Tomato, tomato. There you go. Uh, is the one that we've got um, more of here in, in Texas. So with the rover ants, they are the, the tiny black ants that they have pudgy little abdomens. And these are the ones that I always get, how people describe them to me is that they are the dark colored sugar ants or piss ants. And those are actually a completely separate ant. Um, but they, these are about the same size. They're kind of comparable. So, you know, that's kind of what I think. Robert, you want to jump in and give us, I don't know, information on kind of some of the biology and whatnot? Yeah. So, um, Brachymermex ants are actually an invasive species, but they've been here so long. We think of them as sort of a naturalized species, um, and as you said, they're they're pretty small ants compared to um, lots of other other ants that people see around their houses. And that, I tell people a lot of times when they call and they're describing ants, and they they say it's a small dark ant. And I'll say, well, it's about the size of a hyphen, like on a printed page of newsprint. Is that's that's how tiny they are. I mean, they're, they're very small. I ant. love that description, and I'm going to steal it. I do too. That's perfect. All yours. Um, they just describe them as little robust, very tiny, robust ants. But, but the truth is most people um, have a difficult time seeing them, really. I mean, like you can see them moving, but it's, it's kind of difficult to see because they're so small, the features that you need to identify them. But the one nice thing in terms of identification is that in our part of the world, if you're looking at a very small ant and you have magnification that's proper to be able to count their antennal segments, starting with the long segment that comes off the head. If, if, if you're counting nine antennal segments, then you're looking at Brachymermex ants or rover ants. Um, so that makes it pretty simple to identify them. Um, then this time of year, we get a lot of, of uh, swarming. So the reproductive swarmers swarming around in people's homes. Um, oftentimes they'll swarm outside, but you know, you leave the lights on at, at night uh, in, in different rooms and they'll be attracted to those from the outside. And if you've got um, sort of, uh, you know, if, you, if you've got it sort of a, porous entryway there. In other words, if they could get through this, this window screen and then um, maybe your windows aren't sealed all that well, they'll come in and can establish in that way inside your house. But most times they just, the pressure for uh, foragers that you find in the house comes from the outside. They, they find their way in through weep holes and, oh, you know, under uh, door sweeps and the like and come in uh, typically searching for sugar resources as, as uh, Wizzy mentioned. So there's, there's sugar loving ants. Um, oh yeah, one other thing to mention in terms of identification. So all of the workers in rover ant colonies are the same size or roughly the same size, 
Whereas, you know, ants like fire ants, you know, you've got a continuum of sizes of workers in the colony. These are all the same size. So that can, that can be a clue too to what ant you're dealing with. I was going to say, since they're so small, I don't know if you would be able to tell the difference in size anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they're, they're, they're very small. Oh, goodness. But they're so, so cute. And I think, I think their abdomens are kind of pudgy. I mean, when you really look at them, they just, they're just kind of little, I don't know, pudgy, pudgy abdomens. And yeah, they're kind of like the, like the English bulldog kind of squat and rotund, you know, of the ant community. Little boogers. Yeah, I agree. But these don't have huge colonies, right? Mm -mm. No, actually they're, they're, they're very small compared to other pest ants, like, you know, fire ants or, uh, certainly tawny crazy ants. I mean, they're very, they're very small colonies. Um, and, and recent research coming um, out of the uh, urban entomology lab at AM is showing that using microsatellite markers and, and uh, DNA fingerprinting um, to study these ants in the field. What we're learning is that um, historically, you know, you would go to a house and you find lots of these foraging around on the outside and you would sort of instinctively think, well, there's a pretty significant infestation here. The reality is there is, but the, but historically we would have thought that those were ants that all belong to a single colony, but turns out that's not the case at all. Um, their, their colonies are quite small. They're very territorial. And so what you're seeing on a house that has ant activity, maybe all the way around on the exterior is you're seeing lots of small colonies. I mean, what we're learning is their territories are, are, are um, not very expansive at all. So think like, um, I don't know, you, you, the front door size area of a house, that's where you'll find a colony foraging. But, you know, 10 feet down the exterior wall, you find, find other ants that are foraging. Typically those are from a different colony. And once we talk about control, I'll, I'll kind of double back on that and talk about why that's important. All right, Molly, do you want to jump in and talk about where these can be found around or even in houses? inside the house yeah so i'm i'm actually dealing with these guys right now and and anytime i've ever seen them or had people call me about them inside the house they tend to find them in the kitchen primarily and then also sometimes in bathrooms and so i mean i'm assuming it's because they're attracted to moisture and usually you'll find them like around the actual faucets at the base of the faucet where it comes through the countertop um, probably because you know you got some moisture there or there's a little bit of leakage or whatever it might be uh, and then outside I think you can pretty much find them anywhere. I've heard that they'll be in clogged gutters um, under leaf litter and mulch and just they don't they don't mound up and, you know, make like a fire ant mound, but they live under things. And and Robert knows a lot more about their biology than I do. So am I right? Am I right? In, yeah. in that case, 100 percent. So these are sort of leaf litter and cavity nesters. And so they'll use you know, in the forest, they'll use, um, you know, leaf litter on the forest floor or, you know, the cat nuts in some cases, acorns, um, larger nuts, pecans that have become broken um, to house the colony. But, but you, you know, in our yards, they'll use any sort of, you know, architectural or landscape architecture elements. Um, yeah, uh, like, yeah, Janet mentioned in the notes, uh, uh, flagstones on walkways. Um, you, I get you know, them in flower pots. Potted plants, yeah, yeah for that's sure. That's like the perfect place yeah. for them to oh, hang out. That's yeah. the other one. Or next to crepe myrtle trees. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, Janet, why are they next to the crepe myrtle trees? <laughs> That's crepe, good to point out. Because the crepe myrtle trees have things like scale and other insects that cause honeydew, and honeydews are food for them. Right. But if you have a crepe myrtle tree and it's next to your house and you have a water faucet, and the reason I say that is I've gotten a few phone calls on this kind of scenario. Yes, people are finding that the rovers are going both ways, meaning going outside or maybe coming in. Robert, are the, you may have totally said this and I missed it. The colonies I know are really small, but is it like only a few hundred of them? And then do they have multiple queens or just a single queen? So um, I, I guess I can't really put a very fine point on how many workers in a colony. But I think, you know, based on what we see in the field, I think somewhere a couple hundred workers, up to a thousand maybe, um, single queen colonies um, okay. from single mating event, yeah. Okay, you, I mean, all the things that you describe about them, the fact that they're so teeny tiny, the colonies are so small, there's only one single queen, you would think they'd be easy to control or mm -hmm. not such a bother. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's so funny that they're so, so much of a nuisance to people. And I guess it's because there's so many colonies outside and yeah, that's just, they yeah. are relentless in coming inside. Yeah. Especially when it gets hot and dry like now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they also can be kind of persnickety about baits. Like we said, these guys like sugar. So you need to make sure that you're getting a sugar based bait to really draw them in. Yeah, for sure. And what are, what are generally sugar-based baits? Those are gel-type baits. And then what about those little liquid kind of hotels? Or they're not really hotels, but the little liquid bait stations that you can buy at, at the hardware store, will those work for them? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've had success with um, sort of professional products as well as, as those baits that you're describing that you find at big box stores. Yeah, so... So I think the ones you're describing have boric acid as the active ingredient. Oh, okay. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. Um, but but in and so if you you know if you can get them to to eat that, they'll die. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> I think I've had. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I said then there's another colony that takes its place right yeah, away. So right. I bet people think, oh, this isn't working. This isn't working. But it's it's worked against that single colony, it just isn't going to kill everything outside. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think back about, you know, you, you, before we had a better understanding of, of how small and territorial the colonies are, I, I gave, you know, pesticide manufacturing companies a number of reports that they probably weren't very happy to read, you know, indicating that their baits didn't work um, when we baited on the exterior of houses. Um, and, but the reality is they probably did work for the colonies that fed on them, but it, you know, all it, because of the territorial nature of the ants, you know, they, they were excluding other colonies from feeding on the bait. So yeah, we may have killed a couple of colonies, but, but the house may have had 10 that were operating on it. So when we came back to make observations, the ants were still there. Um, but, but now I know a little better about that. So, you know, we do, we tell, like I tell uh, pest management folks, if, if in trainings, if you're going to try to use a bait for these guys, if it's a brick home, think about treating, you know, every other weep hole, you know, mm -hmm. so you get better chance. Oh, wow. Do, yeah. Do, if they're so ter they're territorial, 
territorial against one another, mm -hmm. but do they care about other species being close by? Will they push them out of the way or no. do they not mind? I don't think so. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen just from experience in the field, we do like a cafeteria style study. You know, they're not going to be able to outcompete red imported fire ants. They're just, yeah. they, they can't do that. And so since fire ants are really the dominant ant species in most of our neighborhoods and yards, um, they, they can't hold those off. But I mean, I've seen them, you know, when we go in and um, when we're collecting tawny crazy ants, an ant that can just steamroll the environment in terms of its competitive um, success against other ants, you know, you would think there would just be nothing hanging around, but you'll often find like um, rover ants and big headed ants uh, underneath the same, you know, you know, it, where, wherever the, the tawny crazy ants are, are sheltering. Yeah. So right next to each other. I mean, on top of each other. It doesn't, I don't fully understand what's going on there. Yeah. I get them a lot of times when I'm doing my fire ant monitoring, I'll get them in mm -hmm. with acrobat ants or fire ants or it's like, okay. Yeah. They're just kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Molly. I jumped you. I've got a potted plant that I'm pretty sure has Argentine ants that have started to nest in there. I haven't brought them into the office to look under the microscope, but that's what my guess is just by my eyes. And the rover ants are right there next to them too. So um, I didn't know if that was an anomaly or normal. I think it's pretty common because yeah. I see a lot that they just kind of go where they want to go and do what they want to do. So they're jerks to each other, but they are friends to other things. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They, they tolerate. It's like, you know, you can't stand your, your sibling, but if anybody else picks on your sibling, then you got to, <laughs> you know, as I think about it, maybe it's one of these, it's like, cause you know, they, they tolerate other ant species, but they're tolerating ant like fire ants, for instance, they're tolerating a species of ants that could just wipe them out. Right. If they wanted to, you would imagine. You wonder, like, is it this safety and numbers game that they're playing, right? So we can, we're fine, you know, we've got our little territory, and we're gonna be we're gonna be calm among each other. But this is our turf, that's your turf, and together we represent a much bigger community, you know, body of ants, population of ants, and maybe that's how things work in the field. Well, I could they know. also be maybe they're not necessarily competing for food resources because the fire ants are really going to be going more for protein-based yeah, versus true. sugar. Yeah, so maybe so they don't of, care. Yeah, there's sort of this natural built-in resource partitioning. Yeah, uh -huh. that's interesting. Huh, see, we, we don't know everything. We know a lot, but we don't know everything. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is how uh, this, the seeds for uh, ideas for grants get started, you see. <laughs> yep. So as far as controlling these, um, I, I personally am of the mind, if they're outside, then who cares? Because, you know, they're outside. It doesn't bother me. Um, it's when they start moving indoors that I really start to have an issue with them. And, you know, this happened to me uh, for years. I had a colony of rover ants in my kitchen. There's a window like right above my sink and they would swarm in that window every single summer. And I, it's like, I, I would see them swarm and it's like, oh, yep, it must be August because it would be <laughs> right at the beginning of August. 
So that was the when I was like, okay, I need to do something about this. But if they're outside, you know, it's really not a problem in my opinion, because they're just doing their thing. I mean, if they're outside and then they're coming in from there, that might be an issue. What do y'all think? Bugs in nature, great. Bugs in my house, no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, they're, you know, it's paradoxical given kind of what I do, but like I don't use very many insecticides around our home, but rover ants are one of the few that I actually keep something on hand during the warm months to treat for them when they come inside. I got, they're fine. I'm fine with them being on the back porch and, you know, crawling around the, the bricks and the foundation. That doesn't bother me at all. But when they come inside, I usually take care of them, mop them up. And it's not necessarily that they do anything. I mean, I guess they could transfer, you know, bacteria or something like that if they're walking across a contaminated surface and then walking on your plate or whatever. So they, they could transfer that, but, you know, you could also transfer that with your hands, depending on how clean you are. Um, it's more, I, I consider these really to be a nuisance ant more than anything, because they just, I don't know when, when they're there though, they, they really kind of do their thing. But I personally have found liquid or gel baits to work better on these than other stuff. Yeah, I totally agree. The, the one thing, you know, one of the, one of the, the complaints or discussions I've heard about these guys from pest management professionals is that, you know, if you, you treat the exterior of a home as part of a general insect management program, but then the homeowner sees these ants crawling around and uh, that, that can be problematic because a lot of pest management professionals will use um, products that contain the active ingredient fipronil on the exterior of the house is a, a, a general insect um, uh, control. And then Tawny, or excuse me, the rubber ants are crawling across it and their customers see it and say, hey, what, what's going on here? I've got ants. So, you know, to avoid that, you, you really uh, want to avoid using products that contain fipronil as the active ingredient um, for rover ants, because if they don't, as, as, good a, as good an active ingredient as that is for general insect management, um, it doesn't work very well on rover ants. And that's been documented. That's in the literature. Uh, we don't really know why, but that's you know, maybe a point to be made for any pest management folks that might be listening. Are there any, I'm trying to think of some, I can't think of any like over-the-counter products that you could, that have Fipronil as the active. Like if you go to a box store, I'm trying to think of what there might be. Yeah, we have to sort of define what over-the-counter means and in today's well, world, I mean, yeah. you know, the reality is anybody can buy um, products that contain fipronil as an active, active ingredient. Because you can buy them. anything online, right? Right. right. <laughs> so as far as um, baits, I, I use baits for these, right? I mm -hmm. mean, that's pretty much my go-to. And when I do that, there's, you know, obviously if you are using baits, you don't want to spray a contact pesticide in the area where you're putting the bait down because that's going to contaminate your bait. But then the other thing that I often tell people and they're like, oh, hey, I didn't think about that. 
a lot of people will want to wipe up the ants. Like, you know, they'll put cleaning stuff on a paper towel or spray it or whatever and clean that up. And essentially what you're doing there, yes, you're getting rid of the ants right away, but you're also wiping away that chemical scent trail or pheromone trail that those ants are using to go, you know, from their house to whatever they're going to. So if you just put out your little bait station in the middle of that trail, they're going to find it a lot faster than if you were to clean them away, then put out the bait station, and then they have to go about discovering the whole entire thing again. So Janet, I have a question because you, since you do the IPM in schools, I, I would assume that these can be very problematic in schools and not just in the cafeteria area. I, I would say that these can probably get into classrooms as well, right? They're, they're everywhere. <laughs> I would say if, I don't know if it's just a Rover because any school district I talk to, ants is always their number one complaint and it just depends on the time of year and where they're at, but yes. I mean, anywhere from the school cafeteria to a classroom, because it, if they can find a way in and they find the sweetness of something, and it doesn't take much, just one candy bar. Um, I was going to say, you can have that snack drawer that they can get into, right? Snack drawer. I mean, it could be anything. You could have hard candy and wrappers on your desk, but they're still going to somewhat find it because they're little brats <laughs> well and that's the other thing that people need to realize it's like when because cleaning stuff up in sanitation is going to help deter them from coming in to get food and stuff but these since these are little t tiny ants you know that remnant on the candy wrapper is going to be a lot of food for them so keep that in the back of your brain no, you're right. I mean, they do the best they can. Baits clean up. They're, they're like everybody else. And of course, right now, especially with water being in high demand. Right. Well, and then a lot of times when we talk about keeping insects outside because they're fine out there and then, um, you know, having problems with that, we talk about exclusion. And... <laughs> That's a little bit tricky with these. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. You're not going to exclude these guys, right? <laughs> um, it, uh, unless you can live in a bubble. I mean, when one of my girlfriends called me and, and was explaining what was going on, and I said, yeah, and you had this last year. And she's like, yes. And she is the one that has the crepe myrtle and the water spigot and the kitchen window right there with the pantry on that wall. And I was like, no, just, just do this. And, you know, I went through all the steps of, cause she did, she did. The, I'm going to clean the pantry out. Oh my God, the world's coming to an end. <laughs> but I said, no, put the bait in. And I said, and also watch that side at the exterior. Cause I mean, again, if they know it, ants aren't fools. Hey, this was the great place to come and eat. Well, and they're going to recruit everybody else with those pheromone trails. So it's like, hey, there's there's a buffet over here. Let's come mm -hmm. over this way. Yep. <laughs> That's the hardest part. Getting rid of those 
from the exterior coming interior, if you can get rid of those pheromones. Yes, exactly. So if you find out where they're coming in, um, yeah, I know I need to fix the weather stripping around the back door and there's always rover ants trailing right there. So I'm like, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. I, I can see it happening now. All right, so that does it for this episode of Unwanted Guests. We hope that you learned a little bit more about rover ants. So just to recap, if they're outside, that's fine. If they're inside, they're typically a nuisance, but it would be best to use a sugar-based bait on these gals. Um, if you need more information, you can go to extensionentomology.tamu.edu. We'll catch you next time. Thanks.